we are going to continue in Ephesians this evening as we are thinking about the, 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 uh, the phrase, of course, the title of the series, God's Eternal Purpose. That's what we've been thinking about as we've gone through our study of Ephesians. And in that purpose, of course, we think about God's eternal purpose, our part in that purpose is the revealing of the mystery of the gospel, right? In Ephesians 3, 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden in ages, for ages in God who created all things through the, through the church. That's us, you and me, right? Through us, we could say, that through us, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. I appreciated uh, Paul's comments uh, before the prayer this, this evening. Uh, on the, in the bulletin, of course, we have a bunch of prayer lists. And then on the back of the calendar, on the back of the calendar, we also have a ton of people on the prayer list to just, you know, pick a family once a week or pick somebody once a day and, and include them in your prayers, right? You can do that. Why? Because we have boldness, with ac boldness and access with confidence. What are we confident in? That he will listen to us, that he will hear us, that he is ready for us to pray to him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering to, uh, for you, which is your glory. I referenced this in Bible class this morning, this idea of him being afraid. He's the one suffering. He's the one in prison. But he's worried about them, right? That they're going to lose heart. And this idea of what was he suffering for them? He was in prison, right? And we could go into the long list. He lists a couple of things in, in one of the other letters. Make sure that's on. He lists a couple of things in one of the other letters, right? He, he went through shipwrecks. He was stoned. He was run out of town. Uh, he had he, a, lot of, a lot of hatred. People didn't like him. A lot of difficulty that he had in his life, cold and exposed and on the road and hungry and all of these things we looked at in the Philippian letter, right? Which he ends with, I can do all things through him. It gives me strength. He's suffering for them, but he's worried about them. And I, I, I wonder about that sometimes in our lives, as we're the ones suffering, if we're the ones who are undergoing this trial, if we have the attitude of Paul, that even though we're the ones undergoing this difficulty, that we're worried about others as he was. Why was it so important that they not lose heart? He knows He's, he's done, right? He's gone up to Caesar to, to be in Rome and he's in prison. He's not going to get out. He's not going to be able to, to, to be free again. And so why is it so important that they don't lose heart? Because they're the ones that are going to have to do it. Because he's done. He's coming to the end of his race. And they need to persevere. They need to continue to make this known. To reveal this mystery to the lost. Our purpose is vital but it isn't always easy. In fact, maybe we could say it's rarely easy. Most of the time, our task comes with some difficulty. If we're doing it the way that we should, let's put it that way. If we're doing it the way that we should, most of the time it will be kind of difficult. Persecution and uncomfortableness and social rejection. That's what we fear in our country. In other countries, it's imprisonment like Paul. We think about this struggle. Jesus warned against this, warned that this would happen. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. They demonstrated that hate by killing him. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now he's applying this specifically to the apostles, but I think more broadly we can apply this to the idea of being a disciple. And this is what I say, right? The, the Christian purpose to reveal, to make known the mystery of the gospel, 
should be difficult. Because if you were of the world, they would love you. If you didn't try to reveal that mystery, they would love you. Oh yeah, be, be a part of us. You're part of our life or part of our crew. You can, you can be a part of our group. It's difficult because we stand out from the world and that makes them hate us. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I'm not going around raising people from the dead. I'm not healing people. I'm not creating the, uh, Gwen, in Gwen's Bible class, they talked about the story of the five loaves and the two fish. People would love me if I could do that. Well, maybe because they didn't love Jesus. And I'm not doing any of those things. I'm not greater than him. If they persecuted him, surely they'll persecute me. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours too. As we reveal and make known this mystery, we're looking for those people who will keep his word. Revelation 2.10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, like Paul had thrown, been thrown into prison. That you may be tested, and for ten days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Why does he have to include that, be faithful unto death? Because the temptation will be to give up before the end. To give in to the world. The struggle is difficult. And so to this end, we come to Ephesians 3, the section of our text this evening. Paul offers a prayer for strength for his readers. A prayer that we understand God is not bound by time and space. I suggest would apply to all of his readers. Whoever reads it. Whoever believes it. This prayer for strength to go along with, previously we looked at, a prayer for knowledge that he offered for his readers. Because the things of God are difficult, this God's eternal purpose is complicated and the mystery and it's unusual and how do we make sense of it? So he offered a prayer for our knowledge. Now he offers a prayer for strength. Ephesians 3.14 For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We looked at this text a lot. Well, I say that it was, it was recent. It wasn't really recent. It was in our study of the Holy Spirit. This was months ago at this point. Man, time flies, guys. We looked at this text a lot in our study of the Holy Spirit that we may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What does, God want, uh, what does Paul want God to do for the church? We're going to go through, and, and this evening, we're going to break this down in these five parts of this prayer, the things that God, uh, Paul is asking God to do. And ultimately, we're going to ask this at the end, is this something that God would be willing to do? Right? We've already talked about the idea of prayer and, and God's willingness to hear our prayers, and we have boldness with confidence and access to him. He just said that in Ephesians chapter 3, and now he offers this prayer and boldness and confidence that God is willing to do this. How does Paul expect these things to help us? Well... Again, we just said it. He's in prison. He's worried about them losing heart. This prayer is for them to keep going in revealing the mystery of the gospel. So the first part of this, praying that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. I want to note, first of all, this power, this strength that God is hopefully going to give us, that Paul is praying for, 
is not dependent on human ability, understanding, or talent. It is through His Spirit, right? Second Corinthians 12, 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is Jesus speaking to Paul. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Fortunately, this isn't about how awesome I am. Because he's asking that we be strengthened with power through his spirit. What he is able to do. What God is capable of. And the point in 2 Corinthians 12, this difficulty that Paul had in his life, this thorn in the flesh, that he wanted it to go away. And Jesus' point is basically, no, you don't need it to go away. I can still help you. I can still make you make things work. I can still help you to overcome. And so I don't know what you've got going on in your life, the struggles you have. I know you have them. God can make you into what he needs you to be, even though you have that difficulty. Because it's not about you. It's about his spirit in our inner being. This is the power to endure all manner of difficult circumstances, to remain faithful and true to God, no matter what's going on in our lives. Again, because it's not about me, it's about him. You do not need miraculous power to experience this power through his spirit in your inner being. And sometimes people, you know, we, we have discussions about miracles and the age of miracles and why don't we have miracles and wouldn't it be nice if we had miracles? What did Jesus just say? You're not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Why do we think miracles would make it easier? Jesus could do miracles. They killed him. A lot of the apostles could do miracles. They killed them too. It's not about the miraculous power. Colossians 1, 10 through 11 so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. This power, to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Remember what he just said. So that I'm hoping you don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. This is the power of endurance and patience. The power to overcome difficulty. We have circumstances in our life and we think, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to, th- I just, how can I bear this? How can I do it? The answer is you can't, but God can. And he'll help you do it. He wants to help you do it. The second part here, Christ may, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This prayer that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Jesus wants to come live with you. He offered this in John 14, 21, right? Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That word manifest, we read it in Ephesians, right? That the church in the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. This word made known, that's manifest. Jesus is going to make himself known to the person that obeys him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? How are we going to know you? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's the promise, right? That Jesus will dwell in our hearts through faith. That he will come and live with us. The difference between knowing about Jesus, right? Because that's what Jude had asked. How are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? The difference between knowing about Jesus and being one with Jesus. Knowing him in the most personal sense. 
because he has come to live with us. Why? Because we love him and keep his commandments. We love him and we do what he asks. And he, in, in turn, the, the sort of the covenant relationship, we think about things in terms of covenants, right? The covenant relationship that God has made with his people, if we are willing to do that, this is one of the promises that he's made. I will come, we will come and make our home with him. He stipulated a few conditions, of course, right? We have to be willing to obey him and love him. We just read that. We have to be willing to, quote unquote, open the door. This idea in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Have you guys ever had a house guest that you didn't expect or didn't want and you just sort of pretended not to be home? Maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that. Maybe you guys have done that to me. Hopefully not. But this isn't, the, this isn't, the, this isn't, isn't this how we treat Jesus? He stands at the door and knocks. Go away, nobody's home. Why? Because if I were to unopen the door, if I was going to actually let him in, that would require what? That I repent, that I accept his terms, that I allow him to have lordship over my life, that I allow him to shape the what I do and what I say. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That we will have fellowship with him. If we're able to accept his terms, obedience and love and repentance, he is more than willing to dwell in our hearts through faith in his name and his power. And then give us that strength that we just talked about, right? The strength with his power through our, or his spirit and in our inner being. Third thing here, the prayer that we would be rooted and grounded in love. And again, we're thinking about the context of the prayer here. The world continually pressing against the church, pressing against us, alter, offering us alternative foundations, alternative things to do and believe and say, look, don't do what God wants. Here, here's something. Do this instead. Hey, don't do what God wants. Just do what you want. Do what pleases you. Competing truths. But what? Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You can kind of see a progression of these. The prayer for strength through his spirit and our inner being, well, that's contingent on what? Well, that's contingent on is Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. What's contingent, what is that contingent on? When, what's going to enable Christ to come dwell in our hearts through faith? Well, that is if what? We're rooted and grounded in this faith, in his love. That we're not accepting what the world has to offer, but we're basing our lives on what Jesus has to offer. When we center our being on our faith in Christ, our thanksgiving for his love, then we'll begin to, what's the phrase? Walk in him, to do the things he wants to, what did we just say? Obey him and love him. There are many other things we could walk in. Division. Some people just like to stir up trouble. Uh, one of the things I noted in our sermon this morning, the commands not to be slanderers. Not to speak evil to people. Because some people just like to stir the pot. And if I'm, if I'm being honest, that's kind of me. I like to stir the pot. That's a temptation I have to struggle with. Selfishness. That's a competing thing we could walk in. I'm just going to do whatever I want all the time. Materialism. That's a thing we could walk in. I'm going to do whatever it is that allows me to accumulate the most stuff. I'm not a stuff guy. This is not one that tempts me. Maybe this is yours. Maybe this is your struggle that you have to deal with. Nihilism. Something that has taken hold in our culture more recently, if you're not familiar with nihilism, it's the idea that nothing matters. Everything's pointless. The preacher would say in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities. 
And the point of that is, if that's the competing idea that we're basing our life on nihilism, nothing matters, well then, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Who cares? Do whatever you want. It's a thing that people are getting sucked into as opposed to being rooted and grounded in love. The world offers many competing priorities and sets of truth. 1 Timothy 3.5, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless geneal genealogies which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship of God uh, from God that is by faith. I want to pause here. Different doctrines, myths, and endless genealogies, all of these things that sort of we go down these paths of things that don't matter, but what the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Our aim is love. We're rooted and grounded in love. That's the foundation of what we do. Not selfishness, not materialism, not nihilism, not what the world says we should do, not friendship with the world. But that my aim is love that issues from a pure heart. A heart that is pure. Why? Because Jesus lives there. That's what makes my heart pure, right? Of course, our love for God and our love for others. Two components to this. I'm rooted and grounded in the love that I have for God through the thanksgiving that, of the things he's done for me. And the love that I have for others because they're people made in God's image. So we come to the fourth thing. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And you, again, you can see the sequence here. If I want to be strengthened with this power through his spirit in my inner being, I need to have Christ dwelling in my heart through faith. And if I want that, I need to be rooted and grounded in love. Grounded in love. That love. Love of Christ. Knowledge. Of course, our love is only a reflection of his greater love. We know how to love other people because he showed us what it is to love. 1 John 4, 9 through 11. This, the love of God was made manifest to the world. We might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent a propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. God loved us, and so we love others by extension. This love is surpassing knowledge. It's beyond what is normal, beyond what is understandable without the help of the Spirit. And what I say in this respect, it is love that is not defined the way the world defines love. Now, our culture struggles with this, I don't think in the same way that ancient worlds struggle with. Maybe different cultures are different throughout history. But one thing I can tell you for certain, no matter what, love is Well, what does God say it means to love? What does that mean to him? How does he manifest that? How does he do it? How does he show love? That's the kind of love we're trying to know. This is the love that will overcome anything. Remember the prayer that you'll have strength to endure because of the difficulty that's going to be coming. Romans 8, 37 through 39. Knowing all these things, we are more than confident through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is why knowing the love of Christ is so important, right? 
thinking about this chain of prayer, why knowing the love of Christ matters so much, if I understand his love, what will I be able to overcome? The theoretical answer is anything, right? What is there in my life that could happen that's going to make me forget God's love? Nothing can separate me from it. Nothing could happen that's going to make his love less. Nothing's going to happen that makes me love him less if I understand this love that surpasses knowledge. This leads us to the last point. As we think about these sort of contingent prayers, the prayer to be filled with all the fullness of God, being God-filled people. Colossians 2, 8 through 10. See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of dwell, deity dwells bodily. This is the great paradox of the incarnation, right? Uh, the, uh, is, God, is Jesus God or is he man? Yeah, the answer is yeah. And how does that work? I don't know. It's, it's spiritual in nature, right? It's, it's part of this eternal, infinite power of God that he can do that. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then what's the, the extension of that? And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. If in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells, he is the physical manifestation of God, the fullness of deity incarnate. And of course, he's ascended now, so now he doesn't have the limitation of the body. If he then offers to come live in our hearts, that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith, You'll be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. What is being offered but the fullness of God? Enabling and empowering us. Have you ever thought about that? The fullness of God being offered to you. That you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Not for your own purposes, but again for God's eternal purpose. Which means he's incentivized to do what? If this is about God's purpose, and again, this is about our ability to continue the work of the church after Paul's death, after the apostle's death. This is about, is the church going to continue to do what God wants throughout the ages? God is incentivized to follow through on this prayer because he wants us to succeed because that means his plan succeeds. Because we're the ones carrying out his plan in this earth. In this way, we fulfill the purpose of the revealing of the mystery of the gospel. John 1, 16 and 18. For from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. No one has ever seen God, yet Jesus came to earth and made him known. This word manifest. That in the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. If we accept Jesus' terms, we found our lives on his love. If we accept Jesus' terms, we found our lives on his love. We allow him to live in our hearts. We're strengthened with his power through his spirit in, his, in our inner being. Then we can make God known to those around us. That's the mission, right? To manifest God's wisdom to the world. We do that. By becoming like him. And so the final question is simple. We're going to end a little early tonight. Hooray for you guys. Is God willing to answer this prayer? That's the question, right? This is a prayer. Paul's bowing his knees before the Father. He's asking this on, on our behalf, his reader's behalf. Again, he's thinking of the Ephesians, but 
God, of course, who is transcending of time and space. God who understands all prayers of any time ever in the history of the world. Can you imagine that amount of information in God's mind? Just, just the sheer volume of information that he possesses. Is God willing to answer this prayer for us? And so Paul concludes this section with Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Paul thought to ask for these things. And he acknowledges God can do even more than that. We ask God for things. I hope we're praying for things. We're asking God to help us to endure. We're asking God to give us the strength. We're asking God to fulfill this prayer. He is able to do far more abundantly than that. Because we can't limit God by human words, right? We have to describe these things in words. And yet the power of God transcends our ability to describe it, our ability to understand it, our ability to comprehend it. He is able to do more than this. And I think he will do more than this. And so he's worthy of glory. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you know what that word amen means? Let it be so. When we say amen, when people are saying amen, it's a signal of agreement. A signal of, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the way it is. To God be glory forever and ever. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Yes, that's right. He does deserve the glory. Why? Because he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And I think we sell ourselves short sometimes. Well, it's not really selling ourselves short. We sell God short. When we're overcome by circumstances in our life. I can't do this. I can't take this risk. I can't do this thing in his service. I can't overcome this difficulty in my life. Yeah, maybe you can't. Good news, it's not about you. He is able to do more than you even think to ask. What, what is God willing and able to accomplish? And when we don't see that manifesting around us, this again, this idea of manifesting, that we're, we're seeing God's power in our lives, we're thinking, well, I don't really see that going on in my life. Where should we cast the blame for that? Because it's not God, right? When we don't see his power manifesting in our lives, that's not his fault. We are the limiting factor. The opportunity always exists, though, to recenter, refocus, and re-engage with the mission. The mission is what? What did he say? That in the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Paul was praying that he would be able to make it clear. That's what we're trying to do, make it clear to the world around us. We can still re-engage. There's still time. I don't know when, how much time we have left. We have at least one second left. He didn't come back, so probably more than that even. To redo what we should have done in the past and to do more in the future. Because again, we are the limiting factor. He wants to make us able to do all that he wants us to do if we're willing to accept his terms. And we've looked at this, some of those terms tonight. To love him, to obey him, to open the heart, door of our hearts, to let him in, to be united with him in immersion, to repent and confess him before men. If you're ready to do that, come while we stand and sing.